Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. When you are experiencing difficulty in your life, adversity, for example, how do you respond? What is your thought process? Who do you turn to for help? Well, we're going to look at a Psalm of David. And David, although he was a very prominent individual, of course, being the king of Israel, God used him in a variety of ways, but yet, David, he suffered greatly. And sometimes when we walk with God, we are going to experience difficulty in our life. The enemy doesn't like obedience. The enemy doesn't like faithfulness. So he's going to come against us. So when you are experiencing adversity, it is wise for one to turn to God because God ultimately is the only one that can change your circumstances and give to you relief, deliverance. And this is what David knows. And here's the key. His prayer life is going to reflect that. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 43. Now, we've learned that sometimes David is suffering and we know why. He has disobeyed God. He has sinned. He has confessed that. And now, in the midst of his sin, he sees the consequences. That that sin has opened up an opportunity for the enemy or the enemies to come against him. But when we look here in Psalm 43, we don't see any indication that David is confessing sin. Other Psalms, he does, not here. This is not a low time spiritually in David's life because of some disobedience, some sin that he has committed. Rather, we are to conclude from Psalm 43 that David is, is where God wants him to be, but nevertheless, the enemy is waging war against him. David is feeling stress. He feels the opposition. The enemy is clearly contending against him. And David wants help. And he's wise enough to turn to prayer and in prayer believing that God is going to move in his life. If you are in a covenantal relationship with God, here's one of the benefits. God hears your prayer. And he will, at the right time, he will respond. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He is not going to give you over to defeat of the enemy. 
He is going to move, and you should expect God's deliverance. Well, look with me, as I said, to the book of Psalms and Psalm 43. This is a brief psalm, just five verses, and we're not going to spend a long time on these verses, but don't conclude that because of that, that this isn't an important psalm. It is a highly important psalm. There is significant truth in these few verses that if we apply to our life, we're going to see God's deliverance, God's help, God's illuminating for us, giving us that right perspective so that we can make wise decisions in the midst of these difficult times. Look with me to verse 1. Now, David begins, and I'm sure your Bible is going to say, Judge me, O God. Now, is David asking for God to punish him? See, usually when we think of judgment, that's what comes into our mind, and that is indeed one aspect of judgment. But for a believer, a faithful believer, God's judgment is going to manifest itself through, and here's the the term I want you to remember, and that is vindication. What David is praying here is not for God's punishment, God's judgment, God's discipline to be upon him. He's praying for vindication. And when we are in a covenantal relationship with God by faith through a new covenantal relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua, we can expect God to vindicate us, God to get involved in our circumstances and bring about vindication for us. Now, this all is is presupposing one thing, and that is we want justice. We want righteousness. We want the purposes of God, and we're committed to that. We're working for that. We're behaving in this way. When we are, God will bring about, if not today, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, next week, but vindication is on the way. And that's what David is saying. So let's translate it this way. Vindicate me, O God. And this term, Elohim for God, relates to God who is indeed judge, a righteous judge. And God's judgment relates to setting things in order. So can you pray right now, God, what I want is your order in my life. If you're not able to pray that sincerely, wanting God's order, wanting to to walk in his his purposes, then you can't pray for for God's activity in your life. You, You need to pray repentance. But David, in Psalm 43, David wants to walk with God. He's committed to the purposes of God. He's part of the program of God. He wants to be in the will of God, and therefore he prays in verse 1, Vindicate me, O God. And then the next part of this verse, the word that, that appears next actually appears twice. Now, it's a word for contention or contending. 
There's a contention, and therefore God's going to contend. That is, he's going to act in light of that. He's going to go to work in that contention. And what David is saying here is simply this to God. He says, contend against the the one or ones that contend against me. Now, this one for, for a contender can be thought of as an opponent. So what David is saying is, God, I want you to be the opposition against those who are opposed to me. And what we learn here is that they're opposed to David because David is committed to God. So once again, if you're not committed to God, if you're not about his purposes, then that opposition, God's not going to work against it. He may be bringing it into your life to bring about repentance. But in this psalm, we see a David that is not confessing sin. He's not in sin at this time. David is walking in the righteousness of God. He's committed to the righteous purposes of God. Therefore, he can pray, beseech God for vindication and for God to contend against those things that contend against him, that are in opposition to him. Secondly, he writes in this same first verse, we read, Mi goy lo chasid. Now, the word chasid comes from the Hebrew word chesed, which is grace or sometimes rendered as mercy. So David is speaking about a goy. Now, goy can be a nation, a people group, or it can be used as one individual. And in this verse, based upon the laws of Hebrew parallelism, that's Hebrew poetry, we can be assured that he's talking about one individual, and the ideal here of a goy is someone who has no covenantal relationship with God and Beyond that, he's in opposition to the covenantal purposes of God, God, what he's about. So David prays here for vindication, for help for God to judge and contend against those who are in opposition to him. And he writes, from this this goy, this individual who is not gracious, who is not merciful, and it gets worse than that, from the man, and here's what's so significant. Because this is Hebrew poetry, and the chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry, and I hope you know this by now, parallelism. What's parallel to to goy here? This, This term that many Bibles translate as nation or people. What's parallel is the Hebrew word ish, which is a man, one man. That's why we need to translate the first part of this verse as an individual and not a people group or a nation. So he says, from an individual, this individual has no covenant with God, not committed to the things of God, from the goy that is not merciful or gracious, from the man who 
And the next word is the word mirma, which is deceit. This is a man of deceit and one. And this next word, avla, is a word for injustice. One who is unrighteous. So David is saying, there's opposition in my life. There are those who are against me. I need your assistance, God. I need you to contend against them. I need you to vindicate me because the enemy can be oftentimes more powerful than us, but not more powerful than the one that's in us. So David is saying this individual, he is not gracious. This individual does not live in truth, but he is a man of deceit. And he does not stand for justice, but he's about injustice. And because of that, David can pray confidently. And what does he pray for? We'll look at the last part of verse 1. We have this word, tefalteni. Tefalteni is to, to deliver, or really it's a word for escape. It is God moving in order to bring an escape, a deliverance, a rescue to an individual. That's what David's praying for. That's what David is confident about because he knows that his opponents are, are unjust, they are not gracious, and they are an individual that is full of deceit. So David, based upon their character, he knows that because he stands for the side of God, God's going to move. God's going to deliver. God's going to provide and escape. Now look at verse 2. One of the things that's so wise and simple here is that David is showing us in times of trouble, turn to God. Not as a last resort, but at the beginning. So David says, verse 2, for you, and he speaks about the God of my strength. Now, it's a word that speaks of power, of strength. And this also teaches us something. David is not saying to God, God, you just move in such a way that I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back, relax. You're going to fight these battles, and I'm uninvolved. I'll just wait until the enemy's defeated and then I'll move on. That's not the context. Why? Because David says, for you, and he's speaking to God, God, you are the God of my strength, my power. Why does he say that? Because David realizes he needs to be empowered by God in order to overcome. Asking for strength and power, recognizing God as the source of that power and strength implies that you're going to go to battle, that you realize that you're called, and the New Testament is full of this, we're called to be overcomers. And we can only overcome if we are empowered by God. That's what David is praying for at the beginning of verse 2. And then he says, and in the last part of verse 2, he says two things of, of great significance. 
And David is being transparent. He's being sincere. He's revealing how he feels. He feels, what does he say here? Why have you left me, abandoned me? David feels alone. Let me ask you a question. Oftentimes when you are going through a difficult period, there's much opposition. Don't you feel as, as you've been abandoned? Abandoned perhaps by friends and other individuals, and you're all alone here? David even feels that God is distant from him. Now, we learned last week, don't base your, your actions or, or your, your beliefs based upon your feelings, your emotions. If you base things upon your feelings and emotions, the enemy is going to exploit that for your hardship, for, for your demise. We need to be individuals. Now we can confess it. David says, oh God, this is the implication. Why have you abandoned me? Why? And then the next word is the word koder. Koder, we came across that last week. It's a word of gloom. Some will say even mourning. But David is saying how sad. How gloomy, how dark. He's at a dark time in his life. And he feels alone. So he simply confesses to God. He says, why gloom or darkness? I walk in the, the stress of the enemy. Instead of experiencing God's provision right now in the midst of this psalm, David feels alone. He is not experiencing the provision of God in his life, God's assistance. Whether, what is he experiencing? He's experiencing stress. And the source of that stress is the enemy. The word lachatz is a word for just feeling pressed together. You know, being, being afflicted from, from all the sides. That is what David is going through. And I'm sure at times you feel that same way. You have in the past and more than likely you are going to feel that way in the future. In fact, as the times grow closer to the ends, it is going to be more frequent that we feel this distress from the enemy. So what did David do here? Well, keep reading. It says, at times like this, David prays. What does he pray? Look now to verse, verse 3. He says, Shalach orcha va amitecha, which means send, and this is a word to mean to send forth, make visible, provide. Notice what he asked for? Your light. Now, some of the rabbinical commentators put this in regard to David's plea for messianic existence, assistance. We know that in the book of Isaiah, Messiah is likened to the light. We know in the new covenant, the light of the world, but, but the light for Israel that's going to stand up. And we also know that light, and this is probably, in my opinion, more relevant for, for this psalm. David is praying for 
illumination. He wants God's light, God's illumination to come on so he can see things from God's point of view, God's perspective. And the next word is also so important, your truth. God gives illumination so that we can learn the truth of God. When was the last time that you prayed for God's truth to be given to you? See, you can't be serious about being a servant of God, wanting to walk with God, do God's will, if you're not praying for God's truth to be made known to you. We are, are dependent upon his truth. And his truth is right here in my hand, but we need the illumination, that light, so that we can understand it and implement it properly in our life. That's what David is saying in verse 3. Send forth your, your light and your truth that they, that they, here it is, will lead me. So let me ask you a question. Are you being led? Are you making decisions based upon God's illumination? Let me say that another way. There's an inherent relationship between light in the Bible and revelation. So are you being led by God's revelation? And God's revelation is found in truth. Some of the commentators point out there is a, a relationship between truth and scripture. The scripture leads us in truth. And sometimes it comes this order. We experience God's truth. We, we respond to that. We put his truth into action. And what's the outcome of that? Illumination. So sometimes illumination comes forth so that we can understand truth. And when we understand truth and implement it, there's going to be greater revelation, greater illumination. We're going to see things properly. Why? So we can make right, and that means righteous decisions. So again, are you praying, God, help me make righteous decisions? Or, and this is foolish, do you think you know what's best? And you're just going to make your decisions. Don't make your decisions. Pray for God to reveal to you the righteous decisions that you should make. Verse, verse 3, the second half, he says here, and they will lead me to your holy mountain. Now, David is revealing something. Do you want victory in your life? What is victory? Worshiping God. See, the enemy, Satan and all of his demons, all of the fallen angels, everyone who is being, being led and influenced by Satan, they want to keep you from worshiping God. If they can keep you from worshiping God, they are are pleased. They are having success, and you're going to be experiencing failure very soon. So what you should ask yourself each and every day, am I worshiping God? Just don't wait for that one day a week or two days a week or those times of prayer each day in the, the, the congregation where you pray, where you worship God. What does Paul say? Pray, and prayer is synonymous with worship in the Hebrew mindset. 
the Jewish context of scripture. So when he says pray without ceasing, he means that there needs to be consistently throughout your day, every day, worship. Not just in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening, but throughout the day. That you're worshiping God. That you're recognizing him. That you're sensitive to his leadership in your life. So it says, send forth your light and your truth that they might lead me and that they might bring me to your holy mountain and to, most Bibles say, your tabernacles. Now, in one sense, there's only one tabernacle. But sometimes the plural is used to show abundance. So for your tabernacle, and it's speaking about the abundant, or we can understand this as God just meeting God in various places where the presence of God is going to be experienced. God, I want to be led by you so that I'm experiencing you in this situation, in that situation. It is, and here's what the scripture's teaching us. As we pursue God, don't pursue material things. Pursue God. What does Messiah say? God knows that we have need of, of this and that and those other things. But when we pursue God, what does that mean? It means that we're worshiping. We want to experience God. We want to hear from God. We want to be demonstrating the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit, in other words. As we're doing those things, God will look upon that favorably and he will provide what we need. If it's food, if it's shelter, whatever it might be, God will provide it. So we want to be led to worship him on that holy mountain, and we want to be brought into your dwelling places, your tabernacles where God is found. Verse 4. David, being given that opportunity, what's he going to do? Notice what it says. And I will come to the altar of God. What is that? A place of sacrifice. We need to realize that in the proper context, altar in the scripture is inherently related to sacrifice. That word mizbeach comes from the Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew verb for making a sacrifice, providing an offering. And this is part of worship. It is making an offering to God. As a testimony, God, I'm acknowledging you. God, I, I believe I'm in your presence, and therefore I want to make a sacrifice. Now, this is not a, a sacrifice for, for salvation. Messiah is that sacrifice. It is a sacrifice for, for thanksgiving. It's acknowledging God. So we read here, I will come to the altar of God, and notice the outcome of that, to the God of the gladness of my rejoicing. Now, notice what the scripture does here, and it's a magnificent thing. We see sacrifice, and what does that lead to? The gladness of rejoicing. Rejoicing with God before God provides gladness. 
This is the change. So David says, and look at the order. God, I need your illumination. I need your truth so I can apply that to my life so that I can be brought to the place of worshiping you. And when I'm in your presence, the natural outcome, I want to provide, I want to give, I want to make a sacrifice, make an offering. And in that is going to bring about the gladness of my rejoicing. That's what he's saying here. He says, look at the last part of verse 4, I will give you thanks. It's exactly what it says. It is the same root for the term thanksgiving, to say thank you to God. And he's going to do so with a, a violin or a harp, however you translate the word kinor. I will give thanks to you with a violin. Oh God, my God. Now, I think it's so, so very significant that he says, Oh God, my God. What is this affirming? That for David, God is not some just distant entity out there, a supreme being. But he says, my God. That statement, my God, acknowledges David. He is acknowledging God personally. That there is a personal relationship between him and God that comes through this whole, whole process that David's going through of, of worshiping God, of offering to God, and ultimately experiencing God. Well, let's conclude. Let's look at that last verse, verse, verse 5. Now, this should be familiar to us because if you go up to the previous psalm, Psalm 42, and you look at the last verse in Hebrew, it's verse 12. In English, I believe, verse 13. When we look at what's, what's the conclusion of Psalm 42, it's the same. And I mean the same identical words as verse 5 in Psalm 43. Now, we studied it, but we need to repeat it. We need to read what it says. And David is, is asking a question. He says, ma, which is what? And in this case, it means for what purpose or simply why, O oh God? Why is my soul brought down, brought low? David is confessing, this is a difficult time in my life. This is a summary. He says, why, for what purpose is my soul brought low? And for what purpose, why, is, is there to me, and this is a word for making noise or disturbance. And some of the modern scholars have said, David is experiencing here just this lack of quietness. He can't find that stillness in his life. He is being constantly disrupted. There's this disturbance in him inwardly. His soul is brought down and it is under disturbance. Now, with that the case, what do we do? And notice how this psalm continues on. Look at the last part of verse 5, the last part of our psalm. He says, Hochili, 
le Elohim. This word is a word for hope. Now, it is a word that speaks about a confident expectation. I want to underscore that. It is a confident expectation that God is there present with him and is going to move in a mighty way. So David says, even though emotionally, how I feel is my soul is brought low. It's a word of, of oppression. It's a word of, of discouragement. It's a word of affliction. He says, for what purpose is, is this experience that I'm having inwardly of discouragement, one of, of also being disturbed inwardly, not finding peace? What does David do at times like this? This is what he does. He says, I, I have hoped for God, for still I am giving thanks to him. Now, what is he giving thanks for? The promises of God. What God has affirmed. Why? Well, there is an inherent relationship between hope and the promises of God. See, I don't hope for a, a penthouse apartment. Why? God hasn't promised me that. I look through this book. Nowhere does it say, Baruch, I'm giving to you a penthouse. I'm giving to you a Rolls Royce. I'm giving to you your own personal plane. I don't hope for those things. Why? God doesn't promise me that. No, hope is always rooted in God's written promises in his word. So hope in the promises of God. You won't be disappointed. But if you hope for the things of this world, you are either going to be disappointed or you are going to get them through ungodly means. That which is not pleasing to God, that which God has not, has not authorized for you. So hope for the Lord, he says that, I hope for God, for I am still giving thanks to him. And then notice how he ends this, same way he did last week, Yeshua. What's Yeshua? It is abundant salvation. It is derived from that same word, Yeshua, the name of our Lord and Savior. So he says, Abundant salvation is my countenance. Then he says, my God. What he's saying here is this. My hope, the confidence that I have, is based upon the fact that God is faithful to his promises. Therefore, right now, I don't have to see it. I don't have to experience. I know that God will do it. Therefore, I'm going to give him thanks. And what is David ultimately believing? That, that his face is going to look upon abundant salvation. Now, some have said this abundant salvation is related to a kingdom experience. David knows ultimately he is going to have that kingdom experience. And that kingdom experience is coming as a result from God, that, that the Lord God Almighty 
is David's God. He says, my God. So David has confidence in the midst of this adversity, trials, affliction, oppression, all these things. David says, it hasn't changed my hope. My hope is in the promises of God and who I am. My countenance, it is based upon who my God is, what he is and what he has promised to do in my life. So David, and this is what we'll, we'll close with. David tells us that we are to focus in on what God has told us and not what we are experiencing temporally now. What I experience temporally now does not define me, and it certainly says nothing of what I'm going to be experiencing for eternity. Eternity, kingdom. This world does not offer to me kingdom promises. It's the kingdom that offers me kingdom promises. So here, whatever I'm experiencing, I need to affirm it's temporal. If it's, if it's not pleasing, if it's not good, if it's not righteous, if the source is not God, it is temporal, it's going to go away. It's fleeing. It is not my eternal experience. My eternal experience is based upon the promises of God. And that gives me confidence, it gives me assurance, it gives me strength to overcome. David gives us great words in order to, to turn us into an obedient, faithful servant of his God and our God, the God of Israel. Shalom. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.